absolutely amazing. I'm just tongue tied, just talking about it. Yes, yes, I'm a favorite now. Welcome to the Extraordinary Being Moment, where we inspire you to take action, influence you to create change, and motivate you for success. Hi, I'm your host and coach, Len DeCarmine, and what a show we have for you today. We're going to be talking about gratitude and how to be vulnerable in today's world. But before I do that, allow me to introduce to you my two favorite co-hosts, Fred Martinez and Christopher Shiver. Guys, I'm, I'm glad that both of you are here. We're going to have a great show today. We're going to be talking about gratitude and how to be vulnerable. I know it's tough right now this year. Um, you know, 2020, 2021, it's, it's going from one year to the next. It's going to be tough. There's a lot of things that people don't realize that they're going to be grateful for and how powerful being vulnerable is as well for both men and women. And people will need to learn how to really harness that and take that on. Do you agree? Oh yeah. Especially, especially today. Um, I think, I think the, our, our special guest that's coming on right now is really, is probably is closer to understanding at how to deal with internal adversity than anybody else. That we've ever had on so this is going to be extremely special and honestly i'm i'm ready to to throw myself out there and be vulnerable on this podcast i i want to learn something i want to grow awesome well let's not waste any more time today we truly have a remarkable individual he's a former po phoenix police officer who was severely burned and injured in the line of duty in march of 2001. he suffers severe burns to over 40 percent of his body which drastically altered his appearance. He has undergone more than 50 surgeries just to have the ability to accomplish the simple daily tasks we often take for granted. His story is one of life, rebirth, and transformation. Jason represents the human experience at his very best and extended from despair to describing himself as the luckiest person alive. Allow me to introduce this special guest, Jason Shaterly. Sexually, I did. We talked about it, and I still messed it up. Every show, practically. Jason, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much. I, you know, I, I'm so excited about this podcast. But I got to give you credit because I've never heard somebody ask me how to pronounce my name and then still screw it up. <laughs> Listen, I'm still, I'm still learning this interview game, this hosting game. I was in my head, and I was thinking, don't say it this way, but it came out that way. I'm sitting here, I'm like, dude, you have one job, and I just told you, I just told you how to do it. I just told you Thank you, Jason, for calling them out. I get it bad enough from these guys. This, this show is about being human. We all make mistakes. We all go through trials and tribulations, and I... It's just ongoing learning. Okay. Thank you for helping me out with this. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me out. This, uh, this is an awesome opportunity. I follow you guys and uh, the movement you're doing, the stories you share. This around uh, a lot of fun. Well, I, I appreciate that. I, I know you're a busy person traveling, speaking all over, and I'm lucky we got the opportunity uh, to get you onto our podcast being Especially being local, so we greatly appreciate you having being here with us. And Jason, you do have an extremely extraordinary story to talk about to share with everybody. 
would you, would you mind sharing that from the beginning? No, not at all. I'd be happy to. Uh, I was born and raised here in Phoenix, Arizona. And wait, no wait, stop. stop. I'm sorry, Jason. Did you say you're born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona? Born and raised, baby. There's not many of us left. And I'm almost 50 years old. So, I mean, that's saying something right there. Um, but you know what? I grew up and just had a, a story from childhood. You know, great parents, a couple siblings, great friends, played sports, just normal, what I wanted it to be. And like everybody, I think, you know, when I was a kid, I fantasized about the white picket fence and the, you know, the, the wife and kids, the family and, uh, getting a job and doing all that stuff. And graduated high school, uh, was pretty good at golf at the time. Got a college scholarship and then something, just in my freshman year of college, I decided to change directions. Uh, it's called the serve for just, you know, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And also, I really needed, at, at 18 years old, I'm just like, dude, if you don't get some structure and discipline in your life, you're not going to get where you want to be. So the only thing I need to do uh and it's funny to think about. It. I joined the military, and and I did it all on my own. Like, think it's funny how the world has changed. I if my kids did what I did, I would kill them. <laughs> I mean, I came home one day by myself and just told my parents, "Hey, I just joined the Air Force." And you know, this is back in 1990. And my parents were like, "Okay, <laughs> it's seriously a different world we live in." And uh, but I did my four years in the military. It's awesome. I mean. They took the Air Force thinks they're very funny, in case you guys don't know. So they said, Oh, you're from Phoenix, Arizona. So we're going to send you to Grand Forks, North Dakota. <laughs> Dude, North Dakota is the coldest place in the United States. Um, spent two beautiful winters there, spent a year in Korea. Uh, I was in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba for the 1994 Haitian refugee crisis. It did exactly what I needed it to do. I felt really good. Just wanted to do my four years, honorably discharged, came home. And I met, man, I don't even think I was home three days. Uh, met my beautiful wife, Susie, and uh, started, you know, down that path of the white picket fence and the perfect life, right? And ended up with a great job. Uh, working for one of our main power companies uh, here called Arizona Public Service. Started out the Palo Verde Nuclear Plant. Then I was an apprentice to be a lineman and lineman the guys who work on the overhead underground power lines. And just uh, the kind of job, you know, that uh, maybe it's not politically correct anymore, but I still call it blue collar jobs. Mm -hmm. And just, you know, I'm outside every day. I'm in different locations. I was making a lot of money for a, a young guy in his twenties with no college degree back in the nineties. And, you know, life was, was just perfect. And March 26th of 1999, I came off work 26 years old, you know, just kind of cruising through life and uh, turned on the five o'clock news. And the lead story was a Finks police officer named Mark Atkinson had just been shot and killed in the line of duty. And it was just that 
aha moment. I mean, right there. I'm still, you know, sitting in my jeans and boots and just got home from work. And right there, I was like, Jason, you've got to be wearing that uniform. You've got to be doing that job. And, you know, I am a firm believer that there are a handful of jobs in, in the world that are true callings, police being one of them, being a teacher, being a nurse. And so I went right away and I filled out an application for the city of Phoenix and was blessed and lucky enough to have made it through the process. I started the academy in September of 1999. I was the first graduating class in 2000. And again, I'm cruising through life, right? It's, uh, you know, I had a little bit of adversity. I went from making a really good salary to making, you know, not, not much at the beginning. And at this time, my wife and I, you know, we're married. We have a daughter and a son, very young, and uh, just kind of struggling a little bit, you know, living in an apartment that we finally got into a house. I did my midnight tour that you do when you're a new guy and a rookie, and I was loving this job. I mean, there's just absolutely nothing like being a police officer when you do it with the right honor and integrity behind the badge, there truly is no more rewarding career. And I know in today's world, you know, becoming a cop in 1999, and then when you throw something like September 11th into the mix, it was a pretty easy time back then. It's not so easy right now. Cops are very hated. It's on TV all the time, and it's a real shame. But for the men and women who still do it with honor and integrity, it's a very rewarding career. And I just, I loved, I loved every part of the job. Only did it for a short 14 months. And ironically, on the two year anniversary of Mark Atkinson's death, March 26th of 01, I went to work that day at three in the afternoon. I was supposed to work until one o'clock in the morning. And about 11.30 that night, I was on my way to an emergency call, lights and siren, but as I approached one of our busier intersections, uh, freeway overpass, just uh, 20th Street and Thomas, if anybody's familiar, it's where Phoenix Children's Hospital, Arizona Heart Institute's uh, about five minutes east of downtown Phoenix. And I got a red light, so I got to stop, make sure the people getting on and off the freeway will yield to my emergency vehicle. But it only takes a second and a half to clear an intersection. And, you know, a lot of what I'm going to talk about tonight is about choices and, and timing. Nothing, nothing just magically happens. I don't believe in just random bad luck. I don't, I don't even really believe in being in the wrong place at the wrong time. I mean, there are a lot of reasons why I was where I was. And they, they went back a lot of years. But anyway, not to jump too far ahead. So I, I came to that free stop. And just as I'm going to proceed through the intersection, my patrol car was struck from behind by a taxi cab. And the guy was having an epileptic seizure at the time, and he was doing 115 miles an hour. Now, for any of you out there who live in the city, this is a 40-mile-an-hour downtown city street. The guy was doing 115. I just can't even fathom that kind of speed. And... Uh, you talk about a, a scary ride for the person who did witness it. This taxi had a passenger 
in the backseat of his car. Imagine witnessing that, not being able to do anything about it. Um, I never saw the car coming, never felt the impact. I was knocked unconscious. My car burst into flames, trapping me inside. Knocked my car almost 300 feet through the intersection. And there's not really words to properly express the miracle, twist of fate, the timing. But I came to stop about 50 feet from a fire truck that was sitting in the same intersection. I mean, uh, that's just uh, unbelievable. And again, you can put a lot of labels on it. I, there, there aren't any words for it. But what I think about a lot is I, I try to put myself into their shoes and into their hearts. They were just minding their own business. And all of a sudden, you know, as first responders, you normally have a little bit of info. Mm-hmm. Like, the call I was going to, I knew what I was going to. They knew where they were headed. And then all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, the world literally did explode right in front of them. And they're still human beings. It doesn't matter what uniform that you're wearing or what job you're doing. Fight or flight syndrome is very real. And all of a sudden, they were put in this position. And then to see that it's a police car, you know, cops and firefighters, they like to rib each other, and we have some pretty good jokes back and forth. But when it comes down to it, there's a true brotherhood, a true camaraderie that goes into that. And I think it put a little more emphasis on, you know, Jesus, we got to get this guy out of the car. And so they're able to go to work. A couple of police officers, friends of mine, uh, were about a half mile away. They heard the impact, saw the fire. They got there in about 30 seconds. And again, they didn't know what they were pulling up on. Then they see it's a police car. Can you imagine the flood of emotions? Thinking that's one of my friends. Mm-hmm. That car, who is that? Somebody's dying right now that I care about. It just things that impact you. And what they talk about with like adrenaline and stuff like that, time really does slow down. Mm-hmm. Focus becomes crystal clear. And then those emotions. Uh, you know, uh, I think about them all the time. And I'm, I'm still very good friends with all these people, but uh, they got me out of that car in 90 seconds. And, uh, you know, I'm six foot three. And at the time I weighed 200 pounds. I was in very good shape. They had to pull me out of a, that tiny driver's side window, get me into an ambulance that had pulled up right next to the car, got me to what... Yeah, I'll argue with anybody. The best burn center in the United States is right here at Maricopa County Hospital in Phoenix, Arizona. It is just unbelievable. And I was given the chance. I was there in eight minutes. From the time of impact to the burst room table, eight minutes. Nobody ever has that kind of timing, luck, miracles. Sure. Unbelievable. Um, but my injuries were pretty extreme. I mean, I had suffered fourth degree burns to my neck, head, and face. My shoulders, my hands were third degree, the tops of my thighs. Thankfully, my torso was protected by my vest. Uh, you know, burns is one of those injuries that will keep on burning. So if your chest gets burned, it's just like putting 
a brick on top of you and then another one and then another one. And over the course of a few minutes, it's, it's just that your lungs can't expand and you can't breathe and you'll, you'll basically suffocate and die. But I was protected by my vest. So my best friend happened to be at the hospital, identified me only by a tattoo. He didn't even recognize me. I mean, I was burned so bad, my best friend did not know it was me. And then they cut off my uniform and he saw a tattoo. And again, back to the human side, the emotion. This guy, he didn't even have time to worry about me. He knew I was gonna die. He didn't have time to mourn his own feelings. He, he all of a sudden had to be the one to go wake my wife up in the middle of the night, completely change her life forever. Get my parents out of bed, contact all of our friends. They brought in my priest, gave me last rites. And the doctors, you know, they, they very bluntly told my family, look, burns like this, we've never really seen it. So somebody's head and face, Jason is not going to survive. But we got to get them into surgery. Got to get that dead bacteria filled tissue off them. They decided to place me into a medically induced coma. Mm -hmm. Just the surgery and the pain. If I was to survive for a couple of days, why, why let me suffer was more the, the thinking. And so within hours, uh, I'm already in surgery. And they're just removing the entire physical identity that I've known for 28 years and thus started the, the new, the new chapter of life, the new me. And I did, uh, survive obviously, but, uh, there's just so many, uh, bridges to cover the gaps to get to where we're at today. So, uh, I've been talking quite a while. I'll shut up for a second. Let you guys, uh, uh, ask a question if you want. Jason, you brought up a lot of things where, you know, uh, I'm Catholic and the way I look at things that there is a, there's like a divine intervention. There's always a reason why things happen yeah. and, and the circumstances because of the choices that are out there. We, we can only choose what for ourselves, but we can't choose the, what's going to happen afterwards. Exactly. And, and then I see that, whereas the accident that happened, it could have been someone else where that it could have been another police car or not even a police car. It could have been another family. They wouldn't have the, the, the opportunities that you have to survive. So I, I believe that, that God put you in these, into the circumstances because he had a path for you and knew where you were going to go because he already had, he knew exactly from when you were born to when you die. And he knew uh, how you were going to make an impact to the world. You know, you hit on one of the biggest themes of my talk when I, uh, I do travel around and I talk about my story and how I feel about things. And I will say I about 90% agree with you. And then I'm going to argue with you on about 10% of that. Uh, I'm Catholic as well. Okay. And the, I do understand that, that we are one of the most beautiful things about life that God gives us is you can make any choice you want. I can, I can get up from this chair right now and I can do anything I want. I can go anywhere I want. I can say anything I want. 
you are not free from the consequences of the choices that you make. Mm-hmm. And when, when the way you touched on that, that is what we're, we're leaping ahead, uh, you know, a little bit with some of my recovery process. But when I was at my darkest moment in the hospital, had finally woken up from my coma after two and a half months, I was in a coma. And then I spent another three weeks trying to, I was blind, completely blind. So I'm listening to family members. I'm listening to doctors. Sometimes I'm yelling and cussing at people. Sometimes I'm not talking to people. Sometimes I'm just crying like crazy. Like, what are my children going to think of me? I've lost my job. I mean, I'm going through just so much emotionally and mentally. But what got me into the fight was exactly what you said. It could have been somebody else. So instead of saying, why me? It was recognizing that I'm the one who chose to be a police officer. I chose to answer up for that call. I chose to drive the street that I drove. And if he didn't hit me, he would have made it to the next traffic light. He could have taken out somebody's grandparents. He could have taken out a woman with her kids. And I, I would not have wanted that. The, the part that I have a real struggle with, and again, I'm Catholic and I'm a very spiritual individual, but the, the reason that my car caught on fire was a defect in the, the, the Ford Crown Victoria. Hmm. 33 police officers and countless civilians that you'll never hear about on TV have died in these rear fuel fed fires. I'm the one who got a fire truck in the intersection. And it's hard for me as, you know, just in my own heart, it's very difficult for me to say that I deserved an opportunity to go home more than they did. Just as much as I don't believe that God will fly planes into buildings and I could sit here and watch a football game and when I see one of the field goal kickers do the sign of the cross, I'm like, dude, God wasn't just in Vegas putting money on the spread. He doesn't get two shits <laughs> if you make this field goal or not. I so I I I know God is up there, but there's seven billion people in this world, and I don't. I just again, this is very personal to me. I just have a hard time. I don't think He necessarily chose me, but I also don't think He was like had his back turned and was like, "Uh oh, what just happened? I got to get him out of there." It. I made a lot of choices going all the way back to high school that got me to that intersection, mm-hmm. that got me to that hospital bed. I was not burned and in a hospital because some guy simply ran into me. It, it's not like that. I got there because of choices that I made and that accountability, uh, man, I can't even begin to describe the strong foundation that it laid that night in the hospital. And that's when I started to get back into the fight. Like I said, I mean, I was ready. It was the end of June. Uh, I'd been awake for three weeks. I'm blind, lost half my fingers, amputation. Didn't even know it yet. I had lost 60 pounds, couldn't walk, couldn't talk, all the skin grafts, the surgeries. And I'm like, well, when can I go home? 
And the doctors at the time, again, at the end of June, the doctor said, you're going to be here about six more months. Christmas is how long this is going to take. And I did everything they wanted me to do, surgery, therapy, you name it. And I walked out of County Hospital on July 31st, six months ahead of their schedule. Wow. Very motivating to know. I mean, listen, I was a complete disaster. I was a, I was a wreck, but just to, to know that I was getting out of there and moving on to the next phase to rehab, learn how to walk again, learn how to talk, drink out of a straw, bathe, do anything. And they expected me to be there three to four months. I was only there three weeks. And then they sent me home. And it, you know, it's going to sound weird, but after five months in the hospital, instead of being excited to go home, I was terrified. I mean, I'm like, I've got all these professionals surrounding me, taking care of me. Well, now all of a sudden I'm at home and it's just back to me and my family. And my wife had to give up her 12 year career in orthodontics. I've got two kids at home that their dad's been gone for five months. And all of a sudden I come home looking the way I do. I can't do anything for myself. My three-year-old son, Zane, he turned three while I was in a coma. He would cry and run out of any room I was in. He would openly say, you're not my dad. Mm. And I can tell you as a father, nothing means more to me than fatherhood. Absolutely nothing. I love being a dad. And to hear those words, we all have our different versions of rock bottom. Mm-hmm. That was easily mine. But number one, kids are very resilient. Thank mm-hmm. God. As long as you have some patience. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then, you know, when you do hit rock bottom, it, you can choose to go sideways. But the only other direction is, is back up. And that's really what happened. You know, therapy kept making me stronger. Every time I had surgery, something got a little bit better. And then, you know, positive momentum, it's a beautiful thing. You just got to get out of the way. It, it is an unstoppable force. And I, I just can't even tell you how many good things kept happening. I kept getting healthier. I kept getting stronger. I carried the Olympic torch in January of 02, not even a full year after my accident. I'm out there carrying the Olympic torch. I met the president. I threw out the first pitch at a baseball game, get all these inspirational memories. Then I get this idea against everybody's belief, but I'm like, I'm going back to work. And that's what I worked at. Then we worked at our family. We had another child. And you talk about being grateful, gratitude, perspective. All of a sudden, so this is 18 months after my crash, after my injuries. I've got a brand new baby. And as soon as I got him home from the hospital, I realized it wasn't about getting me out of a car. It wasn't about getting through one or two surgeries. It wasn't about the pain that I had gone through. This is an entire life that's been created. He sh- it should not even exist. What if he grows up and has three or four children? 
What if they grow up and have three or four children? This can go on and on yes. forever. Mm -hmm. All because of this one incident. And it took away all of the questions and the regrets and anything. And it just really opened my eyes to, you know what? This is going to be a beautiful life. It might be different than what I expected. It might be different than what I had planned. But, and to your point, Fred, you know, the old saying, uh, make a plan for life and God will be like, uh, hold my beer. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to, uh, I'm going to change that real quick. So I just had all these positive things and they, and then I did go back to work two weeks after my son Mason was born. So 18 months after the accident, I drove myself back to work, ended up being a homicide detective for several years. And then I finally retired five and a half years after the accident in August of 2006. And it was, my retirement was more about my eyesight. Doctors had restored, you know, I'm driving to and from work. I'm reading and writing reports. I'm investigating detailed murder scenes. I'm doing something so productive, but I was really taking that beautiful second chance for granted. And then with my hands being as disfigured and important, deformed as they are, I was still trying to learn how to use them again. A lot of surgeries, a lot of therapy, and trying to shoot a gun. You know, I was able to do it uh, with my determination. I, I was loading and unloading. I was shooting and hitting the target with these hands and this eyesight. And I was very proud of that, but there are time requirements that are, that are in place for you to be certified as a peace officer, and there's very good reasons for that. So, you know, that reality set in. And once I did decide to retire, yeah, I mean, it was a difficult decision, but once I made the decision, uh, it, there was no looking back. And it was, uh, it was a very good choice for not only my health, but for my family overall. And has been a big reason of why I am who I am today and where I am. Hey, J Jason, the one thing I've noticed is that you can laugh at the circumstances that you were put in, and especially the story of what happened when you were uh, carrying the Olympic torch? Oh, <laughs> listen, you know, there, I don't believe in people call them cliches, and I guess they are, there are sayings, but cliches exist because they're powerful. They mean something to us. Laughter is the best medicine. That's not a cliche, it is the truth. And yeah, I I did not have a lot to laugh about for those first eight, nine months. You know what I mean? I was in a, a tremendous amount of pain. I was as vulnerable as a human being could be. I mean, I'm kind of like an infant. My wife is having to feed me. Uh, I can't, you know, I can't drive. I can't see. I can't hold on. I can't do anything. And so I didn't have a lot to laugh about. So I go... You know, I get invited to carry this torch run, and my first inclination was to turn turn down the offer because, like, how in the world am I going to do this? Can't really see. I can't hold on to the thing with my hands. I'm I weigh maybe 120 pounds. I was very frail and sick. I'm like, this is going to be very difficult. But the Olympic torch comes to the United States once every 20 or 30 years, so 
it, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, Jason, you said yes to this. So <laughs> I get down there, and this young girl, uh, I'm, I'm talking 19 years old, poor thing. She's just out there trying to do a job, and uh, they they had a, a wheelchair for me, and they got, had a guy who was going to carry the torch for me. So some random dude is going to carry this torch and walk beside me as I'm getting pushed in a wheelchair. I was like, no, this is, you know, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. I'm going to carry the torch myself and I'll just, I can walk down the street and as sweet as she could, she just looked at me and she said, okay, but when you're carrying the torch, please don't get the flame too close to your face. And I said, no shit. (laughs) Dude, how do I need those instructions? Like, you know, I, I, I got, I got that part. I'm not going to put fire anywhere near me. I'm good. But after, after going through these instructions, I, I did. I went back to my friends and I said, you are not going to believe what this girl has said to me. And we were. We doubled over in the middle of the street and we laughed so hard. And I will never, to this day, I remember exactly what that felt like. And I have not stopped laughing since. I find humor in everything, especially self-deprecating people. And <laughs> if you don't have that, if you can't laugh at yourself, I'm telling you, you are in a world of hurt. <laughs> you're, just, you're not going to get very far if you can't laugh, but especially uh, at yourself. So that that's one of my, and it's funny, I mean, I the Olympic torch, as we sit here, is three feet away from me, hanging on my wall. And I, I when I look at it, that's what I think of those instructions I got. And, uh, and learning how to laugh again. So I value that. You know, it's it's a funny story, and I feel bad for the girl. <laughs> was probably, you know, pretty intimidated by, oh, my God, here's this guy who looks the way he does, and he's a police officer, and he's, he's one of our torch bearers. And the poor thing's only, like I said, she's very young, and I probably made her feel really bad, but... <laughs> Uh, but I cherish that moment because it taught me how to laugh again, mm. and and it, it was it was what I desperately needed. Hopefully, she's watching this now, and then and she'll <laughs> she'll, she'll, she'll get context. Yeah, <laughs> watching watching it with a face palm going. Yeah, I remember that day. That was a bad day. <laughs> I, I have to ask you, Jason. It, just. Because I, I, I just, throughout your story, I heard you say a couple of words that just, I, I love to hear. And it was like accountability, responsibility, you know, grat- uh, gratitude, gratuity, uh, being grateful. But also, also you, I heard you say this several times, acting with integrity. That was, I was what does that mean? Well, I think, I, I think it's all the old adages. I think it's doing the right thing when nobody's looking. Doing doing the right thing when nobody's around. You know, if a tree falls in the forest and nobody's around here, does it make any noise? You know what I mean? You you integrity is uh, just how you conduct yourself, and you know what you did. And so, what it means to me basically is this: and what the, what I still have to battle is it's not really the burns. I mean, obviously, my appearance is always going to be a big part of my adversity. I travel the country. I, of course I get stared at a lot. I, I do it alone, which 
that was a decision that I made about four years ago. I used to take people with me. And finally, I said, no, I have to do this on my own. I have to find my way through airports. I have to figure out where my next gate is. I have to call Ubers, check into hotels, go into restaurants by myself. And it was incredibly difficult. But I needed to do that. And to this day, every time the wheels touch down at Sky Harbor Airport, I feel a renewed sense of strength. Like you did it, you made it. And it's also helpful to have a, you know, I know like if people look at me on an airplane or look at me in a restaurant or at an airport, Hey, I know why I'm here. I know what I'm doing. And some people feel compassion. Some people might feel sorry, but I'm like, if you only knew how incredible my life is, but I'm here to give a speech. I'm here to talk to 500 people and try to inspire somebody and, and, and help them through something. So that helps a lot too with how I do that. Um, but back to my point. So I've got eyesight issues. Of course, I've got my appearance, but then all these years later, I've got grown kids that, you know, have their struggles. And I, I found just one simple form, wake up every day and just make the little decision. I'm going to leave this day better than I found. And it doesn't take months. I put an extra shopping cart away, smile at somebody who you never know who you're smiling at, how bad they might need it. You might not only make somebody's day better, you could change their entire life just by smiling at them. Leave the gas station better than you found it, the next phone call, the next meeting. And at the end of the day, because when you go to bed at night, I don't care who you're sleeping next to, you're alone. And the most dangerous place that we will ever be is inside of our own minds. Mm -hmm. You're alone with your thoughts when you close your eyes every night. But if you can answer yes to that question, I left today better than I found it, man, you can feel and see a positive shift in your life. So that's what I try to do. And I'm not always successful. I mean, I have bad days, just like everybody. I make bad decisions that I have to face the consequences of. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm a human being just like everybody else. But that's my goal is to live each day like that. And that'll get me through to the next day. Or even sometimes it's reduced down to, I just need to get to the next hour right now. And that's how I do it. You brought, up a thing, you brought up a couple of things when you were talking about, about the, your, your life and your situation and then the humor. I definitely, I can resonate with you about utilizing your time and being able to, uh, to make you, make it a better day for, but it's the mind that people always get stuck. And yeah. it's like, they're, they're in the constant battle is that, that you have to overcome this, these, these negative thoughts that are, that are, that we run in our mind, that we're not good enough, that, that we're not worthy or whatever it might be, all these limited beliefs. And I know that sometimes people always try and compare ourselves to everybody else that's out there. Like social media is like, like that's a really big thing out there now because people are comparing themselves thinking like, 
I want to, I, I'm not where I am because I don't have this or I don't have that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, man, you, you just touched on so many good points that I, that I think about, uh, the, the social media thing, you know, that's both been uh, a beautiful blessing because we get to do things like this and, and share each other, our stories and with the whole world, build new friendships. But then it's also just been one of the worst things I think that's ever happened because people get to hide anonymously behind a computer. They get to say whatever they want and really hurt other people. I, you know, I, I am so thankful. I tell, you know, I'm almost 50 years old. I tell people all the time, not only was growing up in the 80s the greatest decade for music <laughs> and clothes, but... I also didn't have to deal with any of this BS that my kids deal with, with the social media. And yeah, it just makes things a lot harder. And right now, when you talk about the negative thoughts, it is a, there's a very difficult balance in this that I believe in. And I'm going to use the analogy of a yardstick. Picture a yardstick right now. Okay. And how many little, Hash marks around that. Some are tiny, some are a little longer, but there's, there's probably a hundred of them. And the way that we're designed as human beings, you could attach a different emotion to each one of those. And it would be awesome to stay in this corner of the yardstick. I'm going to feel love and joy and success and enthusiasm every day, but you can't. You are going to feel anxiety. You're going to feel anger, stress. You're going to shed tears. And if you are not able to embrace that in the same way that you embrace the good, it just makes things that much more difficult because you brought up the point about comparing things, on, especially with social media. And again, a cliche Comparison is the thief of joy. Somebody's got a better house, a bigger bank account, a better car, whatever. Well, when you talk about adversity, multiply that by 10. If you compare your adversity to somebody else, all you're doing is grabbing yourself by the back of the collar and holding yourself in place. And what I mean by that is somebody could be watching this right now and they see my appearance. And they try to imagine the pain that I went through or whatever. And they, they will, I hear people all the time after one of my speeches will say, wow, Jason, you really made my problems look small. Man, <laughs> you know what? That I did a terrible job at my speech today because you don't have to look like this. You don't have to have caught on fire and you don't know what's coming. Adversity is really good at forming new and stronger ways to come at us. But we don't know when it's coming. Whatever you're facing today, and it could be something as simple as, I, I have a meeting at work and I got a flat tire, I'm on the side of the road. Don't stand on the side of the road thinking, well, at least I don't look like Jason. At least <laughs> I don't have, you know, that you've got to deal with your adversity right there. You got to fix your goddamn tire. So do it and then get on to the next thing. So. I, that's something I really believe in. You have. It's good to feel compassion 
and respect for other people, but don't compare or minimize or insult what you're going through because you think somebody has it worse. That's only going to hurt you and hold you back, and you have to fight your battle. You don't fight someone else. Jason, I, I love what you're saying. I, I've got a quick question just, just ending what you said. How does somebody get vulnerable about their adversity internally? Because I feel like that's what's how a lot of people are just, hey, how are you doing today? I'm fine. Yeah, that's that's what we always say, right? <laughs> it's, it's almost like the dumbest question in the world. Because you walk by a stranger, hey, how's it going? Good. I mean, that's what we're always good. It's not like you're going to stop and just pour your heart out. You know, right. left things, things are terrible. I'm going through this, going through that. Um, I Vulnerability is... It's a very personal thing. It's very difficult. I, you know, sometimes it's probably easier. Like I can be very vulnerable with my wife, obviously sitting in our house. I can, I can tell her what I'm scared about. If I'm having a tough day with my eyes or, uh, if I'm worried about something with my kids, it's not something I'm going to share with the public, but having the, the vulnerability, like, to feel it, I, I always just get a clearer sense of beauty, and I feel a tremendous amount of strength. You, you will learn nothing from success and just things going good. They're great. It's a great friend, and it's fun, but you're only going to learn, and you're only going to become better by suffering through the hard times and life is not, you know, probably the worst thing that, that ever happened starting from when you're a kid, you, you go to school and you are taught and my wife is a school teacher. So you're taught all about these adjectives, right? Let's attach a word to something. I've got, it's a good day. It's a bad day. I've got good luck. I've got bad. You know what? It's just life. And it happens to all of us in different ways. That's that, that's all there is to it. And so having an open mind to that and realize that some days you're not going to be as strong as you want to be. You're not going to be as good of a friend or good of a spouse or good of a father, son that you want to be. You're going to be vulnerable in those times. And that's when you should be able to find the strength to get back up on top and then you fall back down and you realize, Hey, I'm not the strongest person in the world. I'm not the biggest badass that I think I am or that the world thinks I am. I'm just me and I'm scared. I'm frustrated. I'm sad. I'm got a, a ton of anxiety about a lot of different things, but then I'm also very proud of a lot of things and I'm very blessed and grateful for where I'm at right now. I mean, I'm sitting at home right now. I get to do this podcast with you guys. My beautiful wife is in the other room, uh, you know, finishing up our our Christmas wrapping and my kids are out doing their thing. So uh, I'm just grateful right now. And tomorrow we'll see, uh, we'll see what comes. Jason, you have a lot of wisdom and knowledge and I think a lot of people would like to know 
if what wisdom and knowledge that you can give to other people, like if you can go looking back at your young 20 year old self with all the wisdom and knowledge you have right now, what would you tell yourself? Yeah, man, I'll tell you, I show, I show a few pictures in my PowerPoint presentations. There's two in particular. I, I have a, I have one slide that has a lot of pictures of me as a child in different sports uniforms, in my military uniform, uh, a picture of me and my wife when she was pregnant with our second child. And then I have another picture I show later on of me and my wife the Christmas before the accident. And all I think about when I'm, I mean, I'm in the middle of talking and sharing stories with the audience, but all that I'm feeling and thinking is I'd give anything to sit down right now and write a letter to that guy I, and just tell him, here's what's coming. We don't get to do that. But, you know, when you ask what would I say to my younger self, it's, it's just very simple that, hey, you're going to face some very difficult things and you can overcome them. But the bigger thing that you have to understand is there's a whole lot more coming. Uh, it, it, it's never going to stop. And if you expect it to, then you're kind of wasting your time. Right now, it's very, for all these years, my theme, like I decided to come up with my own. I got tired of stealing other people's cliches and sayings. So I came up with my own and I put it, tattooed it right on my farm. And what it says is, Sometimes the most beautiful inspirational changes will disguise themselves as utter devastation. Be patient. And that is very true. Right now, though, I respect with what is going on in the world with this COVID thing. I mean, people are dying. People have lost their jobs. Restaurants are closing. People's life work. There's not going to be a lot of inspirational change that comes out of COVID. We just need to get rid of the, the goddamn thing and get back to living life and not worrying about our families or not worrying about who, I mean, to not spend Christmas with, with my entire family, that, that sucks. But it, it's worth it to make sure that I can spend next Christmas with them yeah. and the Christmas after that. So, my my saying, I I do live it, and I do believe that it's very true. But right now, it's it's difficult, and I respect that not everybody's going to be able to relate to that because you know we're all faced with the same adversity. On top of then, each one of us has something else. Somebody has cancer right now. Somebody is going through a divorce right now. Somebody's child has Down syndrome or is is getting hooked on drugs or thinking about committing suicide. Everybody has their own unique adversity and struggles, but right now, the entire world and what makes COVID the hardest, what really gets me just, oh my God, you want to talk about moving to the other side of the yardstick and starting to feel anger? It's that we can't do it as a team. We can't do it the right way. We, we are bombarded by 
a national media that just I, I, I seriously just want to turn on Gilligan's Island again <laughs> and never freaking turn it off. And, you know, I, I, I'm not ashamed or afraid to say this from the smallest of small town mayors all the way up to the most elite political office in the country and everybody in between. Every politician in the United States of America right now fucking sucks. <laughs> and they do not care about anything except how to take their next step up. I talked earlier about wake up every day and try to leave the day better than you found. These people wake up every day thinking, how can I hurt somebody so that I can get And it, it just gets me so upset. And I, and again, I hope some of them are watching because I truly, I hate all of them. Not, and I don't care what side of the aisle they're on. I, mm -hmm. they, these are disgusting people and they're not helping us right now. But I'll get off my soapbox. Hopefully this vaccine will start to work. Hopefully we are going to start, you know, whatever they call that, uh, flattening out the curve. And maybe this time next year, if we talk again, we won't be uh, having to wear masks through outside. We won't be talking about missing Christmas with our families. And we could just get back to our own set of problems <laughs> instead of uh, instead of what we're going through right now. It's just a tough, I I mean, I know you guys will agree. Did you ever think you would see anything like this in your lifetime? I mean, this no, is just, uh, yeah, I, no, well, I, I, I did, but I was expecting 85% casualty rate, not 1%. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was expecting exactly. the other one. I was expecting way worse than this. So I'm, I'm just thinking of all the, all the apocalypse survival people right now who are just pissed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it all depends on who you're talking to. I have friends who are epidemiologists and it's like, Oh, this is nothing. Just you know, this is just a, a cupcake walk. And I'm like, what? I don't want to hear about. I don't want to hear about the other stuff that you guys think that could possibly happen. I'm like, oh no, please don't tell me this stuff. Oh, no, I don't. I, I God, I hope nothing can ever get worse than this. It's this is a world like I just never thought I'd ever see anything like it. Jason, you have shared so much with us today on this episode, and we are greatly appreciative of your time being here. We talked about choices, gratitude, being vulnerable, you know, decisions, being human. Things happen. You, it's your choice to make the best of it and how in what direction you want to go with it. <clears throat> the saying on your ta the, the tattoo on your arm is, uh, is absolutely beautiful. And I love that you share it with that <clears throat> tonight with us and our audience. I, I do, before I let you go, I want to get some final thoughts from Fred and Chris. Chris, what, what's your thoughts this evening? Uh, I, I'm going to be entirely honest. I'm, I'm, in, I'm a bit overwhelmed mode right now. It's just, Jason, you're, you're such a, I can tell you're a really great listener and you know how to speak. You think before you speak. I, I love that. You really actually take the time to make sure you communicate something in the proper way that we actually understand. I love how you take the time for that. And it's inspirational for me because I know I don't. <laughs> so so uh, I want to say thank you because the way you talk, you, you're thinking about who's listening and, and, and you change it up accordingly so that so that you're actually talking to whoever you're who, who, whoever is listening. You actually have 
trans, you know, transformed your message so it's applicable to them. And, and, and thank you again for, for being able to say, like, going and acting with integrity, acting with honor in, in this world. I, I just love those two words. I, I cannot, they're, they're my two honor, my two value words for my whole life. I, I, if, if, if something is not integrous, you got to fix it. Something's going on here. There's absolutely no reason why it can't work, why it can't work for everybody, why it can't be a win-win scenario for everyone. And it, I, I think, I think you got it. You, you're right on there. There's no better person. Uh, but to explain to people how to come together and, and, and see how we can come together. There's no really no reason for us to be, to, to be in, a, in a lack of integrity with each other. I, I could not agree with you more. If we would all just come together and do things with the integrity, with compassion for each other, and realize every one of us, every single one of us has somebody that we love and that loves us. We're all human beings, we're all living life. I don't understand how we can hate each other or want to hurt other people that you don't even know. I mean, there's obvious certain situations that somebody breaks into my house right now, they're, <laughs> I mean, they're going down. And that's, that's fine. I'm talking about, you know, when I think about a farmer in Kansas or when I think about stockbroker in New York or when I think about a retiree in Florida, it's all the same to me. These are people who are loved and have love. Why would you ever disrespect or or hamper their ability to overcome whatever they're going through? And too many too many of us in this world are doing that right now. It's just it is heartbreaking, it is angering, and I, I just wish we could find a way uh, to get back you know, people always say, I wish, I wish we'd go back to September 12th of 01. And, and you know, the, the theme of that is, is correct because we yeah. all, we okay. all loved each other and we will, we'll cycle back. I, I have no doubt. I'm, a, I'm, I'm too positive of a person and I believe in the human spirit. It's, and that what, what you hear on TV right now and from a lot of people, is, you know, you're going to hear about skin color, you're going to hear about jobs, whatever, but it does not matter who you are, where you're from, your gender, your race, your religion, nothing. We are all created equal on our human spirit. And it is designed with one thing in mind, to take you away from risk and straight toward reward. You just got to let it go. The human spirit is a beautiful, beautiful thing. We all have the exact same one. Let it go. I absolutely love it. That I thank you so much for sharing that. Fred Martinez, what would you have to say? Well, you know, years ago, I remember uh, when I saw it in the news, Jason, and because um, I would always watch the news. And then years later, we connect on uh, social media. And then I was like, I need, to get, I need to get Jason on the podcast because I believe that there's always a reason for things. There's always, uh, like I look at it like I'm going through this journey in my life. And I believe that you are a, a guide within my life. And, and I wanna say thank you. Thank you so much for your story. And the one thing I want to say is when I look at superheroes, because I think we all love superheroes in my mind and how I wanted it, I always in my mind, I was like saying, what am I going to say to Jason? 
And I always said, if I had a chance to talk to Jason, I would say, you are what we call the Phoenix. You are the living Phoenix because you came from the ashes. You are forged from the fire into the renewed man of who you are, making a difference in the world. And you made a difference in my world. So thank you. Uh, I appreciate that so much. I really do. That's, that comes from the heart. And uh, I love irony. Uh, I find it, I do find it ironic that uh, born and raised in Phoenix with a <laughs> Phoenix police officer, and then I catch on fire. I mean, you, you can't even, you can't even make that up. But when you talk about those, you know, the superheroes and people that we look up to, I'll tell you what, it's, uh, it's a beautiful thing to, um, to go out every Friday and wave to the guy who's picking up my garbage. It's, it's a beautiful thing to say Merry Christmas to the, the person bagging my groceries and putting the shopping carts away and making sure they're clean COVID right now. And, uh, those are my superheroes, just the everyday people. And I think we all have it in us to be that. I appreciate it's humbling for you to say that. Uh, but the fact that I, used to wear a uniform and that I did uh, suffer an injury that not a lot of people survive. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, again, I appreciate it, but it does not make me any more special. I'm still, I, I'm just chasing it and I'm just as full of it as everybody else. And I'm just uh, a human being like everybody else. But I, I appreciate that, Fred. I love following you and uh, being on this podcast is, uh, it, I can't even tell you, it means a lot to me. I can't wait. Uh, you guys to get the feedback on it. Find out how they can get to know a little bit more about you or, you know, have you come in as a speaker for an event. Can you share with everybody ways that people can, can get a hold of you? Yeah, I am incredibly easy to get a hold of. I have uh, a book that's available on Amazon called Burning Shield. I have a website called Burning Shield. My Instagram is uh, you know, with my crazy last name that you didn't know how to pronounce, I have four <laughs> tries. Uh, if you, if somebody can spell that correctly, then uh, I'm easy to find on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, talking to a thousand people in an auditorium. So if you got an event that you think I would be fitting for, uh, please shoot me a message. I'd love to uh, come out and be a part of it. Jason, that is absolutely awesome. For those who want to get to know more about Jason, we're also going to have information about him on our website as well at the extraordinarybeingmovement.com. And we're going to have all his links and all the, all the information to get a hold of him as well, along with this episode on YouTube, as well as on our podcast show on that's hosted on all major outlets. So make sure that you like and subscribe to our show so you can get to know more about Jason and to learn more about the Extraordinary Being Movement and what we have in store. This is Len DeCarmine, your host and coach, and I wanna say thank you and have a great night.